0: This week has been a heavy one, but like I said earlier in the week, I'm not sorry because there's a lot of things that we need to get if we're going to work through some of the areas of our lives that need healing. So, this episode is just a wrap up that kind of shares a little bit of my heart and what was going on in my own life as I wrote this chapter. I I pray it blesses you. Hey, friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. Hearing Jesus, that's one word, all caps, to get your discount. There are also some free videos and a leader's guide for you to get started. Again, head to shehears.org and you can find the Bible study on the resources page. Hi, friends. Welcome to week five of the She Hears Bible study. This past week, you spent some time learning about Martha and. If you've heard me talk at all about this Bible study on podcasts or interviews or anything like that, um, one of the things that you will hear me say is that Martha was the hardest chapter for me to write. Martha became um, very symbolic of my own relationship with Christ, and you will probably pick up on it a little bit through the pages of the Bible study, but... The story of Martha and her relationship with Jesus is something that the Lord really used to speak healing into my life. And so I thought I would share a little bit today about some of the things that the Lord did with me in order to encourage you and, and maybe help you see the ways that God can work through her story in your own life. I'm going to go ahead and start um, there's, and read some of the scripture and I think there's two passages of scripture that we study when we're talking about Martha. And for the purpose of our Bible study for throughout, throughout this week, it's a passage in John. But I'm going to back up and I'm going to refer to uh, the passage that we often think about when we're thinking about Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus, the sibling set. So I'm going to read um, just this, this first portion. It says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who was also seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. That is typically the passage that we study when we're talking about Martha, and that is something that goes around church circles a lot. I mean, people even say, are you more of a Mary or more of a Martha? And uh, that is what I had studied in the past when it comes to, to Martha, when I had heard her name, that's what immediately came to mind. And so we're sending a different passage this week, but I think it's important to remind ourselves... Of the posture of the relationship both between the sisters um, and and Lazarus the sibling set and then with Jesus you know in my own life I really was a Martha for a very long time I think I did not intentionally set out to feel this way but In my own life, I was running a lot of busy ministries, I was doing a lot of things, and there was always work to be done. And it wasn't that I didn't want to be a Mary, I did. I just had so much going on that I didn't have the time. If even in my own life, if I wanted to sit down and just read the word and study the word, Um, Well, there's two things going on. Number one, I really like to study the word, not just read, you know, a couple sentences. I want to really study it. And so I tend to have this all or nothing mentality where I would try to get everything else done so then I could fit in my study time. And, you know, that never works. And then also number two. There was a lot of things depending on me between my family commitments, ministry commitments, all sorts of things. I was running all these programs, doing all these different ministries. I had to prepare so much for all the different things that I was teaching throughout the week that I really didn't have time to sit down and read for myself. So I just kind of gleaned whatever from whatever I was teaching that week for, from that curriculum. And so what ended up happening is um, I would set up these situations for other people to receive from Jesus But I was the one that was running around, you know, preparing things, getting things ready, and I couldn't stop long enough to actually receive from Jesus myself, because if I did, everything would fall apart. And, you know, that would happen all the time, where even some of my volunteers would be, you know, just caught up in the moment with whatever God was doing, and I would feel like okay, tell them to help me. You know, it was just this situation where I always felt like I was the only one doing the majority of the work. And so I came out of a busy ministry season like that at the beginning of the pandemic. And so what ended up happening for me is God used that time, that quarantine time to uh, write this book, but more than that, to really sit down and just be in the presence of Jesus And it wasn't until God took away all of those ministries. I mean, I was doing sidewalk Sunday school and bus ministry and, um, you know, children's ministry and food pantry and all sorts of things on top of our missions program that we run. I, it was when all that stuff was taken away. That's when I was able to recognize and see, okay, I have been neglecting a portion of my relationship with God for far too long and I have to start not listening to everything that's out here and start only listening to him and what he's saying right here. And it was a huge perspective shift for me, but one that was so necessary. And I went through what I called my, or I still call my season of hiddenness after being in very public ministry for a very long time. God put me in, In just this season of being hidden away from the world we all did really I mean in in a lot of ways but for me it was such a difference from how I normally lived my life and how I normally served God I was still serving God teaching on zoom and um, writing curriculum and resourcing discipleship materials globally to global leaders I was still doing a lot for the kingdom but it was from my office or from my kitchen table uh, alone um, you know without all the public face-to-face interaction that I was used to. And so it was a different season for me where I really had more time to hear from the Lord. And I started really reading through um, the book of Elijah and learning about the prophet Elijah and how there was different seasons in his life where God hid him. He was hidden by a river where um, God sent ravens to feed him. And um, I have another podcast, I think, uh, if you want to hear more about that. But it was a way that Elijah didn't expect it was a way that God had not operated in his life before and it was a way that God could meet his needs in a supernatural way so that he could just rest and kind of be hidden and then and he was also hidden in a cave and um, really I think the difference between being hidden and hiding is something that, that, that we could unpack if we had more time. But I wasn't hiding from God and I wasn't hiding from people, God was hiding me. And I really think that was to give me a season of rest. And so when I came out of that, um, it was in the process of writing this chapter and I started to understand, uh, like the prophet Elijah, uh, God wasn't in the earthquake and he wasn't in the fire and he wasn't in the wind, he was in the still small voice. And that still small voice we can only hear when we quiet our hearts and we sit down to listen. So that's really where I was at when I was writing um, about the story of Martha. And so I want to go ahead and read to you um, the passage that we are studying this week so you have it fresh in your mind. But just to remind you that thinking back to the passage I just read, Martha is not loved for what she does. She's loved for who she is. And the same thing is true for you. That's one thing that we hit hard this week on the study. That you are not loved for all the cr- the things that you're doing. I almost say crazy things, but they're not crazy. Because obviously there's some amazing things that you all are doing. And even the things I was doing, it wasn't crazy. My my schedule was crazy. Um, but I was. they were all good things. They, they were just different than the best thing. So I'm going to read... John chapter eleven, remembering that Mary is loved for who she is, not what she does. And verse one through forty-four, which this is a little bit of a longer passage this week, but I think it's important that we revisit it in its entirety. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha, and And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not meant for death, but is for the glory of God. So the son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick... Then he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and yet you are going there again. Jesus replied, and there are not 12 hours, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks during the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him this he said and after this he said to them our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going to go so I'm going so that I may awaken him from sleep the disciples then said to him Lord if he has fallen asleep he will come out of it now Jesus had spoken of his death but they thought that he was speaking about actual sleep so Jesus said to them plainly Lazarus died and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe but let's go to him "'Therefore Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, "'Let's also go so that we may die with him.' "'So when Jesus came, he found he had already been in the tomb for four days.'" That's the important part, four days. "'Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about 15 stadia away.'" It's about two miles. "'And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. "'So then Martha, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. "'But Mary stayed in the house.'" Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise from the dead. Martha said to him, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she called and left Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard this, she got up quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were there, who were with her in the house, were consoling her. When they saw Mary had gotten up quickly and left, they followed her, thinking that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So when Mary came to the place where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could this man be... Could this man who opened the eyes of the man who was blind not also have kept this man from dying? So Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, but I knew that you always hear me. Nevertheless, because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Out came the man who had died, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I think as I read those words, the thing that comes across so passionately is the love that Jesus had for this family. The way that he was moved with emotion and compassion is is evident. Um, and I, and I feel like sometimes we lose sight of the humanity of Jesus and the reality of his emotions. Being fully man and fully God, he experienced many of the same emotions that we have now. And... Martha is in a situation where, and I love this part, she feels comfortable enough in her relationship with Jesus to complain to him. And I think that's so important because what we are tempted to do sometimes is to go to God when we feel it's safe, but yet we hold back some of those negative emotions that almost feel too wrong to even share with him. For me... I'm going to be pretty vulnerable here. I went through a season in my life where this this was a very um, clear parallel in my life in a season that I went through. And one of the questions I asked this week in the book was, have you ever had something die while you're waiting on Jesus? And um, that might be... That I can't remember if that's the Martha part or the Mary part because I wrote this these two chapters as if they were one. It's part one and part two. But obviously, as they were waiting on Jesus to come back, Lazarus died and he had been in the tomb for four days. If you think about the location of where Jesus was, and we mentioned this in this chapter this week, Jesus was only about two miles away. And if I think in my mind about where two miles is from my house and how long it would take to walk two miles it it certainly wouldn't take four days and when I was doing the research on this I just I couldn't wrap my mind around why because to me obviously it was intentional and Jesus says it was intentional his timing was intentional on the way that he waited and we know that he loved this family and he had a relationship with Lazarus. This wasn't just some random stranger. this is somebody that he had a close loving relationship with. And there was I, what I found in my research is that um, there was a Jewish tradition and, and, and some still hold to this today that for three days the spirit hovered over the body and that within three days of death there was a potential opportunity. For a resurrection but by the fourth day all hope was gone the fourth day was the day that all hope was gone and that would be the day that um you know the death really was was sinking in it was past uh, the ability for that person to come back and um, we can see that in the scripture that the reason why jesus waited that long Was so there would be no doubt about who he was. And I think about um, this season in my life. And there have been different times in my life where I've had something. It felt like something died while I was waiting on Jesus. But the most impactful thing was a failed adoption that we had. Um, My husband and I spent um, a little over five years and about $31,000 working on uh, bringing a little boy to our home. His name is Gideon. And when I met Gideon, um, it was a pretty miraculous story. Actually, I had suffered three miscarriages and I have three beautiful daughters, but I also had three miscarriages and I just had it in my brain that those must have been boys because I had three beautiful, healthy daughters. And then in between those, uh, pregnancies, I had these three miscarriages. And so in my mind, I just, I wouldn't even say that like, I can't, I can't make boys. And I remember sitting at church um, one night and I was in a worship service and it was in the moment of worship where the Holy Spirit really just convicted me and said, stop saying that because of my son, stop saying that. So I um, started praying and I really felt as if the Lord was saying, "Um, you will have a son and he will be a mighty warrior and he will be worth the wait. And that was a word that I really felt the Lord was confirming in a couple different ways. And so I came home, and I told my husband, I said, I think, you know, I don't know what God's doing. Maybe this, I I don't know what God's doing, but this is what God put on my heart. And so my husband said, okay, well, we'll start praying for our son. And and if he's going to be a mighty warrior, we'll, we'll name him Gideon. And at that point, I didn't even really, I didn't like the name Gideon. I just... okay I just kind of went along with it with my husband and we started praying and and we at that point thought it meant that I was going to get pregnant but I knew I was going to Africa soon and I didn't want to be in Africa pregnant so we figured we would wait until I got back and when I was in um, Africa I think it was day two we went to a children's home an orphanage for special needs children And they're going around the room, and they get to the last little boy at the end of the room, and they say, oh, this little boy, his name is Gideon. And I I wish I could articulate what happened in that moment, but I can't. Um, Immediately, I felt a connection to him. Immediately, um, my spirit recognized him. And so um, Gideon was a very special child. He had been choked to death um, and left for dead on the steps of a church and um, through a miraculous prayer and some of the staff that worked at that church god revived him Um, he did have to have several surgeries and he had scars on his neck um, because his larynx had been severed but at that point um, he was vocal and you know could speak and god had, had really healed him and he was incredibly incredibly smart and so we started the process there's a long story that goes with all of this but we started the process of bringing that little boy home And what ended up happening over the course of um, five years, and a lot of money, and a lot of trips, and a lot of heartache, and a lot of sorrow, was um, Gideon was trafficked to another country by some very evil people, and we fought um, with Interpol, and... The FBI and the CDI is what it's called there and tried to bring him home and um, we were able to locate him he's in Germany now um, and he's with the family now but because of the illegal way that he was taken out of the country he cannot leave Germany he's protected but he's in Germany and um, I went through this season where I was very confused about what happened because I felt very strongly that God had put this word on my heart and over five years and a lot, a lot invested. um, We fought to bring this little boy home and it felt as if one of my girls was in Africa. That's how it felt. I felt, um, and this wasn't just like, I'm a mama bear for all kids, but this was different. This was, um, he was my spiritual son. And what ended up happening was we were able to work with the government Um, To the point where they were shutting down. They they did shut down. International adoption in that country. For a period of time. Um, And they were able to redo. The way that they do. Birth certificates. Adoption certificates. And death certificates. And they are implanted with a chip now. And we started working with the government. To figure out ways to keep this from happening again. Because what was happening was. um, They were falsifying records. And saying that these kids had died. And then selling them out of the country. And. Um, We helped put a stop to that. And I remember sitting with one of the government officials and she said, you know, um, I know this doesn't help you, but you realize that because of Gideon, thousands of children have been rescued and stopped from being trafficked. And We were even able to go back and find some of the kids that year that had been trafficked through the same organization, the same trafficking ring. And there was 111 kids that we were able to bring back to the country and reunite them because not even all of them were were orphans. We were able to reunite reunite them with their families and get them into safe homes. Um, The ones that were in families... Um, because there was a couple different reasons for uh, trafficking. Um, sometimes it's for domestic servitude, sometimes it's an easier way to adoption, and sometimes it's for um, really sick and twisted reasons. The kids that were in families, um, the government allowed to stay in those families, and they were all across Europe. The kids that were in bad situations, we were able to bring back, get them medical care, get them back into their homes, and get them in safe homes. So I had to stop working in that country, and um, it was just too painful. And although I'm thankful for the role that I was able to play in rescuing a lot of children, it's still, he- Gideon's not in my home. And I felt, um, I felt like Mary felt um, very much was when I was working through this, that I just felt like I had this dream Um, This promise that died while I was waiting on Jesus to bring my little boy home. I mean, we had his, still have his his room painted blue. Um, Bought him all of his clothes and gone through so many court hearings. And, um, you know, even planned a trip to Disney World for his birthday. I mean, there was so much that we had to let go. And while I don't understand the theology of all of that, Um, I do understand grief. I do understand sorrow. I do understand what it means to feel like something died while I was waiting on Jesus. And so as I was working through this passage, um, I was able to start to recognize the the similar parallels in the way that God was working in my own life. And I started working for a global orphan care organization, um, two years ago actually and I started on my birthday my birthday the year before was actually the day that we found out for sure that Gideon would not be coming home with us and so fast forward a year I started uh, working for an orphan care organization and they also work in Africa but in different countries and one of the reasons I chose to work for them was because I could still get to Africa I have a heart for global missions and Africa is an area that God has put on my heart I have a heart for orphan care, um, so it allowed me to go back into those countries, but not to the same country because that wound was just still bleeding. Um, but I knew that I still had a calling to work there, and so I, you know, I felt it was a little ironic that um, I started on my birthday because when I found out the news about Gideon, I just remember thinking like, God, this is not a gift. Why did this happen on my birthday? Like it was, it was terrible. And then when I started at COTN on my birthday, I thought, okay. Like, I, did, I didn't even really process it. It was just a day. Fast forward um, a year into that organization. I had been advocating for um, different things for sp- the spiritual care needs of the children. And one of our pastors in Uganda said to me, you know, Rachel, you really have the heart of a mother for the orphan child. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm thankful for you. And at the time, I didn't think about it. I just was like, oh, I'm just doing what I do and, you know, fighting for justice or kids or, you know, whatever it was. And as I took some time to process that, and it wasn't until I was going through this this season with studying Martha and the death of her brother, that I realized that um, God was trying to give me a message through that. And as I started praying about it, God said, you know, um, nothing is wasted in the kingdom. And the pain and the sorrow of something dying while you're waiting on Jesus is included in that. And as I started just really praying about it, I realized that because God birthed in me, a heart of a mother for the orphan, like that pastor from Uganda said, I was able to fight for the orphans in our organization in a different way than I would have previously. I didn't, I wouldn't have understood it on the level that I understand it now. I wouldn't have advocated the way I advocate now, and I wouldn't have fought in a way that um, is from a place of hurt and compassion and understanding the trauma that they've been through. And so for me realizing that and hearing those words I realize kind of like what happened with Lazarus resurrection isn't who Jesus isn't just something that Jesus does or did it's who Jesus is it's who he is in our lives now and it doesn't necessarily mean that that in between time that four days um those four days that waiting time that is It is full of sorrow. It is full of grief. It is full of questioning God. And um, I will be 100% honest. There were lots of days where I cussed out God. And I'm probably the only pastor that will tell you that. But that's the reality of it. And um, I'm a Martha. Martha felt comfortable complaining to Jesus. I don't know that she was cussing in Hebrew. But I did. um, Because I think he's big enough to take it. He understands us. He understands our hurts. He understands our sorrows. We see that in this passage, how Jesus has moved his compassion. He understands it. And it's safe to take our negative emotions to him. And so in my four days, in my seasons of waiting, in my five years, there were a lot of moments where I didn't understand and i would just say okay jesus like you you can do this like like the people said like surely you healed this blind guy you can heal you could have healed him like why didn't you i certainly felt that to the point where i could not understand why it didn't happen the way i thought it should happen but as i look back on it now god has redeemed that in my life there's there's still sorrow there Um, Do I wish Gideon was in my home? Absolutely. If there was a way, I would get on a plane tomorrow and go pick him up from Germany. But that's not the reality. But what God did do is he redeemed and he restored that dream in a way that is so much bigger than I could have ever planned, both in that country and in the countries I work in now, because God was birthing in me the heart of the mother for an orphan. That looks different. Than the way I thought it would look. And I'm sure in five years. It will even look more different. After I'm able to continue to go in country. After you know travel resumes. But I think my encouragement for you. Is to walk in the posture of knowing. That resurrection isn't. Just something Jesus did. It's who he is. And so perhaps there are things in your own life that have died waiting on Jesus, whether it's careers or adoption or relationships. I don't know the reasons behind those things happening, but what I do know is that we have a God that redeems and restores all things and that there's nothing wasted in the kingdom, even our sorrow, even our grief, even our pain. So my prayer for you this week is that the story of Martha and the way that Jesus steps in and gives us such a clear picture of resurrection in the life of Lazarus. My prayer is that you would recognize the restorer, the redeemer in your own life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for my friends and the way that they are seeking you through this study. Lord, I pray that um, even right now, depending it doesn't even matter when they're watching this if it's live or if it's recorded god you and your spirit um you can transcend time and space and you can work and move through the power of your spirit in any way you choose so lord i pray just even right now that you would speak into the heart of my friends that they would see you moving and working um if they're in their season of waiting if they're in their four days god i pray that you would meet them where they're at that they would see that you love them, that you also have a heart for them of compassion and love and that you are with them in their sorrow. And Lord, I pray that if they are on the other side of that and you have already started to redeem those things, that you would reveal it in a way that we can give you glory because that's who you are. God, I thank you that nothing is wasted in the kingdom. And I thank you that all of the pain and the sorrow that's in this world, this fallen world we live in, that you can work through all of those things for your glory. That the things that that the enemy meant for evil, you can use for good. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are the restorer and the redeemer and the one that resurrects the things that were, were once called dead. God, I pray for that resurrection power to be alive in my friends this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be praying for you guys this week. Have a great week.